the moment that they got off the bus, the yelling started. He knew and they knew it would begin. 13 weeks of what they call hell. It was an hour and a half on the bus on the way there. They were told, don't say a word. Nobody should be talking. The guy a couple seats up kept wiping his eyes. He said it was allergies, but we all knew. He was crying. He looked down at his hands and his hands were shaking. This was a big step for him. And when he got off that bus, he'd be a different man. They had these yellow footprints on the asphalt, hundreds of them. The guys were ushered to these footprints with their paperwork. A lot of the guys looked like they were ready to crack already. He was just trying to hold it together. 13 weeks. He could smell the testosterone in the air. Some guys were ready. Some guys were ready to leave. And it wasn't even five minutes into it. He stood there. Almost immediately, there was a reality check as a drill sergeant was about a centimeter away from his face. Something to the extent of, your mama ain't here anymore to wipe your tears away. He knew. When he, when he passed over on the Paris Island, he knew that he would end up being a United States Marine. But he also knew that he was standing at the brink of the unknown. It took him till two in the morning Till two in the morning to get that crib together. They laughed. They were singing. They were so excited about this time. Their little boy in three weeks was going to be delivered. Even Scott went out. He went out and he bought a baseball and he bought a glove and he bought a football. Just to remind his son when he was delivered, hey, these are important truths. These are the important things. And they got that crib together. Sweat, but yet they were together. She put that little comforter in there with the little teddy bears and the balloons. And they painted that room. It was like this little boy blue. They were so excited. Three weeks, they said. Three weeks, and our little boy will be with us. She went to the grocery store that day. Somewhere between the rice and the macaroni and cheese, she felt that little boy just rolling just doing flips. She was so excited. But about 10 minutes later, she felt nothing. She didn't think much about it. But as time went on, that little boy didn't move. And now they find themselves with a doctor holding hands together. And to hear those words, your little boy has died. They're crying. It's gut-wrenching. They don't know what to do. But one thing's for sure. They stand at the brink of the unknown. The colors are green and gold. They're called the eagles. 
He stands there that day. It's an important day. He's in this awkward looking gown. Four years. Four years of going through high school. He didn't know if he would make it. His parents didn't know if he would make it. And yet here he was, trying to pull it together. It seemed like everybody knew what they wanted to do. They're going to go to college. They're going to work for their dad. They're going to do something great with their life. But he stood there that day with that stupid-looking tassel and that hat. And he didn't know if it was to the right or the left. He stood that day thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What's going to become of me? But one thing was for sure. He stood at the brink of the unknown. When he walked in to the auto shop that morning, he could hardly keep it together. Everything that he saw in that shop reminded him of his dad. From the oil that they would put in the corner, to the smell of the shop, uh, to the tire rack, to the four bays that had cars constantly in there, it reminded him of his dad. Even as he looked down, he saw the grease and the grime underneath his nails, and he thought, Dad taught me everything. He could hardly pull it together. He remembered the days when, as a little kid, he would sit on a tire with a brown paper bag and a bologna sandwich with lots of mustard, and he would sit, and his dad would be under a car, doing the brakes, an oil change, an alternator belt, something, and his dad would take him through every process of it so that one day, he would be doing this. And now he stands in that shop. His dad was strong, but his heart gave out. Do you know what it's like to get a phone call in the middle of a night to say that your dad has passed away? And as he stood in that auto shop that day, ready to throw open the door, ready to invite people to come in. He was somewhere between the butterflies and super excited. And as he looked at his grease and grime nails, he said, Dad, I'll do this for you. You taught me everything. But one thing was for sure. He stood at the brink of the unknown. You ever stand at the brink of the unknown? You ever find yourself in this life saying, what's next? I don't know if I can pull this off. I don't know if I can do this. I can imagine there are more questions that we have than answers. And I can imagine that's exactly how Joshua is feeling. Some of us don't even know about Joshua. This, this incredible man that God uses but here is a man that in many ways is a lot like us. There's times when we're fearful. There's times when we don't know what's going to happen. There's times that we want to bail. And yet as we walk through a series on Joshua, my prayer is that we would learn some things about ourselves, not just about him. That we would find ourselves in this day and age in our culture being courageous and bold and not giving up. Ever find yourself at the brink of the unknown? Joshua 1, that's where we're at. 
Joshua 1 in our series on courageous leadership. So Moses has died. Joshua has been Moses' right-hand man for years. But Moses has passed away at 120 years of age. And now God is calling uh, Joshua to come off the bench and to take God's people into the promised land. Listen, he's not a rookie. Joshua is not a rookie. He is a military man. He was one of the people that went in to spy out the land in Numbers 13. He knows responsibility. He knows leadership. He knows the task at hand. But that doesn't mean that he isn't nervous. And he has been asked by God to take these people over the River Jordan and into the Promised Land. Uh, a land flowing with what? Tell me, tell me. Sounds kind of sticky. But, but that's exactly what God has planned for them. Uh, that, that's exactly what God has marked out for them to not only inherit the land, but also inhabit the land. And so I can imagine Joshua at the threshold of his life when his mentor and his shepherd and, and his pastor and, and his leader has passed away, now the baton is transferred to him. And we see in verse 1 and 2 in Joshua 1, the transfer that is occurring. Look at what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. You can imagine for yourself, you can imagine for Joshua, <laughs> the amount of questions that he would have. The who, the what, the where, the when, the how, we all have them. As he stands at the brink of the unknown. This is a monumental moment for Joshua. And this is not a moment where Joshua says this to the Lord. I've got it from here. Have you ever said that? I got this one, Lord. This is small. This is easy. I can handle this. No, this is a point in a time in Joshua's life that we will see as we walk through the next number of weeks where he has got to depend upon the Lord. If he doesn't trust the Lord and lean on the Lord and depend upon the Lord, he will cripple himself and the people. And so we see a transfer of responsibility. Moses, the people that took him out of a land of slavery and bondage, and now they are right on the threshold. Ever been on the threshold? Ever been right there and something's about ready to happen? You're somewhere between excitement and throwing up. Somewhere between, uh, there's an opportunity of a lifetime here, and I don't want to mess this up. And Joshua finds himself there. And he can't go back and say, Moses, would you bail me out? He is the man in charge. This is a critical time for Joshua to depend upon the Lord. Now, throughout our series, we're going to drop in some leadership takeaways Every one of you sitting here this morning are a leader in some way. In your home, in your workplace, where you work out, uh, in your schools, we are all a leader. Leaders lead. And so we're going to drop in some morsels. We're going to drop in some, some leadership takeaways for you to see that it's more than just running through Joshua. 
But there's some leadership qualities here that all of us can begin to handle and apply to our life. Here's a couple of them. The making of a great leader doesn't necessarily start with great power or authority. It starts with humble service. Throughout this passage, five times the Lord refers to Moses as my servant Moses, my servant Moses, my servant Moses. Could it be that the making of a leader for all of us is not in how much fame and fortune we have. It's not in how much uh, we accumulate. It's not in how much power or authority we have, but it's in just being a servant to all. Well, I'm a leader. I don't want to be a servant. A leader is a servant, and a servant is a leader. And we will see Joshua Though he has great power, he will also be a humble servant, just as his former leader was, Moses. We also see that standing on the brink will not be without risk. It will not be without battle scars. And I, I believe that Joshua and I believe that us as well, there are times in our life that we will need to be keenly aware of our circumstances because if we let the circumstances override us, it will cripple us. There will be battle scars in your life. Some of you have marriage battle scars. Some of you have occupational battle scars, friendship battle scars. Uh, it's not always a walk in the park when we are believers in Christ in a culture of change. And so when we stand on the brink, it will not be without risk. And it will not be without battle scars. We also see standing on the brink a full life is not defined by one's age, but by one's impact regardless of the age. Billy Graham, 99 years old. Moses, 120 years old. We would often say, and maybe you've said it too, they lived a full life. But when we think of a full life, we think of in regards to age, in regards to they were way up there. But I believe that a full life has nothing to do with a person's age as much as their impact that they have. I know of people that are old, older than you. Well, most of you. And, and they, they have wasted their life. Joshua, we will see, is a person that regardless of his age will have an impact on people. Moses had an impact, not because of his age but because of his devotion to the Lord. So let's not think of uh, uh, Joshua here as this kind of wet behind the ears, uh, wannabe kind of leader. Uh, God has a purpose and a plan for Joshua. And God, think of it as a puzzle. God is framing in Joshua's life. And little by little, God begins to put those specific pieces in that puzzle so that it all makes sense and so that there's clarity of what exactly he is to do. And it's, we're going to see that God is going to say to Joshua, Joshua, I am preparing you for something that you don't even realize. And I will also be preparing my people. Because when they cross over that river Jordan, it will affect not just them, but generation after generation after generation. That is the transfer. And the transfer comes with a promise that we see in verses 3 or 2 through 5. Look at what it says here. 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or, what? Forsake you. Forsake you. There's a twofold promise here. The twofold promise is, and think of it in terms of if you've ever seen a movie, and I think we've all seen a movie, where maybe it starts out, the, the camera pans in on a, an object or pans in on a person or a circumstance, and as that camera widens out, you begin to see mountains. You begin to see the ocean. You begin to see the continents. And you're outside of the world. And you see a wide lens. God has a promise. And it's a wide lens promise. And that wide lens promise, you've seen it already. We've just read it. Is this. I have given them this land. It's yours. They have inherited this land because they have got it from the living God. But, and there's always a but, but they will have to go and occupy it. They will have to go and possess it. They will have to go and inhabit it. And that will be a problem because there are pagan nations in that land that they've inherited. And they're not willing to go quietly. And so in many ways, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, you've inherited this land, but you're going to have to inhabit it. You're going to have to possess it. You're going to have to clean some house and get it done. But the promise is there for the people. There's also a God-wide lens promise. Every place your foot touches, I've given it to you. Every place your foot touches. How about here, Lord? Yeah, I'm giving it to you. Well, what about over here? Yeah, I'm giving it to you. How about two miles from here? Yes, I'm giving it to you. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Everywhere your foot treads, seeing the land, living in the land, occupying the land will be a matter of obedience for the people. God's wide lens also that we see from these verses is you will inhabit a huge piece of land. This is not just a little parcel of land here. This is a huge piece of land. And he gives, uh, there's a, a map up here, uh, he gives the parameters of this all the way up north to the Euphrates River, all the way down by the Red Sea, all the way over by Edom and Modem where, where there's the desert and the wilderness, and all the way along the Mediterranean Sea. This is a huge piece of land. This is a real estate's dream. What is the first rule of a real estate agent? Location, location, location. This is a location that everybody wants then. And it's a location that everyone wants now. That will be a huge piece of land. So we see this wide screen. We see this wide lens. And now it becomes narrow. And it focuses on a promise just to Joshua. As Joshua is going to lead out to people. And that focus, that, that promise is in verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In other words, Joshua, listen, look back. 
Look ahead, look around, look at all that I have done for you and remember this, I've got you. I've got your back. I will lead you. I will guide you. And friends, when you are in the midst of standing in the brink of your unknown, he has you. Look around and see his power, his presence, his protection, his provision in your life when you stand at the brink of the unknown. Just with a raise of hands, anybody here stand at the brink of the unknown at some time in their life? So I'm not the only one? Oh, oh, good. We've all been there. And he says, I am with you, Joshua. You're in the palm of my hand. What comfort, what assurance. Aren't you thankful for that today? That when everything seems, when the world is, is pulling the carpet out from underneath you, you know that there is someone that's watching out for you. And it may not always go as you had planned, but you have someone who will lead you and guide you, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've got your back. Why does he say this? Why does he give Joshua this in verse 5? Why does he have to remind him, I've got you, uh, uh, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Don't you think Joshua would have known that already? Because when we're standing at the brink of the unknown in our life, there are times we want to quit. The decisions that we need to make in life, we're not quite sure what to do. The times in our life when our knees are shaking and our hands are shaking and we're thinking, what is going on here? And we feel like quitting. We're like, well, how did I ever get myself into this? We need to be heard. We need to be hearing that. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we see here, again, a leadership takeaway and that is this, it's the leader who finds his trust in God and not in things who will be successful no matter what. I'd like us to read that together. No man will be able to stand, let's read it together. No man will be able to stand before you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Leadership takeaway. The leader who finds his trust in God and not in things will be successful no matter what. I think about the prophet Jeremiah. 600 years before the birth of Christ, for 40 years is telling the people in Jerusalem, turn, repent, turn, repent. You know how many people turned and repented? In 40 years of preaching, zero, nada, goose egg. And yet, God's favor was on Jeremiah's life. See, when we think of success, we often think of finances. We often think of fame and fortune. But I look at someone like Joshua, and I look at someone like Jeremiah, and I look at someone like Craig Peters, and I look at someone like Corey Smith, and I look at someone like Randy Smith, and Todd LePage, and other people that you have in this ministry, and maybe they don't have the fame and fortune, but God's favor is on their life. And I would much rather have God's favor in my life than all the money in the world. God's favor. You'll be successful no matter what when you put your hope in the Lord and not in things. We also see, like Joshua, we may be standing on the brink of the unknown, but we are not alone. We are not alone. So you put, you, you filter all of this through this morning. Joshua is, is in a setting that we'll never be in. But you're in a setting that Joshua will never be in. And so filter it through what's going on in your life. And recognize the fact, I'm standing at the brink of the unknown, but I am not alone. Someone has said that Joshua 1 is a wonderful reminder that we serve the God of don't forgets. When he says, don't forget I care. Don't forget I'm with you. 
Don't forget, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't forget to be strong. Don't forget to be courageous. The God of don't forgets. And I think one of Joshua's biggest tasks as he takes these people into the promised land will be to help them to remember their focus. Because in their abundance and in their plenty, and when they look around and see all that the land provides, it will be so easy for them to forget their God. And Moses warned them in, in, in Deuteronomy 8, where he said, when you come in to the promised land and you see all that has been provided, it will be so easy for you to go, look what we did. Look what we did. And man, Mission View, be careful. Be careful you don't come to a point as a church or as a family that you say, look what we did. Because when they enter into the promised land, there's going to be a Starbucks and a Walmart on every corner. And they're going to find themselves saying, we feel pretty comfortable. We've kind of arrived. And they will find themselves turning away from the living God. And God reminds Joshua, I will not forget them. But the bigger question is, the greater question, will they forget me? That's the task for Joshua. That's the promise that God is giving. We come to part three, which is really a challenge now for Joshua. In verses six to nine, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may, be, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it upon it day and night so that you may do according to what is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and successful. For then you shall make your way prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. No challenges without risk. Throughout our lives, we risk things. And the challenge for Joshua is that whether you're a mom or a dad or a grandfather or a grandmother or wherever you're at, the challenge is the responsibility that God has placed in your lap. Will you be faithful with it? Or will you bail? And here's Joshua. Because sometimes when God gives us responsibilities, we feel inadequate. Man, I feel inadequate at times. Sometimes when God gives us responsibilities, there's those hesitancies. And sometimes when those responsibilities come, there's resistance from others. And there's that sense of fear. And God says, listen, I've got something for you. Do you see it in the passage? Do you see three times God says something to Joshua specifically? To remind him? Do you see it? Verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Be strong and... Be strong and... Be strong and... Why those words? Why not be friendly and gentle? Why not be forgiving and self-controlled? Why be strong and courageous? I know why. 
Because there's those days when God gives us responsibilities to be the dad we're supposed to be or the mom we're supposed to be that we feel inadequate. And we'll often let our strength, if we're not careful, become a weakness. And I was supposed to be strong, but I feel so weak these days. I was supposed to be courageous, but I am filled with fear. Joshua would be strong and courageous. Set the pace. Be fearless. Be vigilant. Stay focused for the people. Here's what God desires for Joshua and desires for us too. I want them to see me working in you. And I want you to have a confidence, not in your flesh, but a confidence in the Lord that will spur people on and cause people to say, what is it that you have that I don't have? Because you have an incredible confidence. But that confidence comes from the Lord. The challenge is not to the turn to the right or left here. In other words, look straight ahead. Be focused. Don't let peripheral things get in the way. Keep the main focus, the main focus. You ever notice how the enemy tries to get us to focus on the problem? You can have 101 things going on in your life, and 100 of them are blessings. And yet it's the one bad thing, problem, situation that we can't handle, that we tend to focus on. Anyone do that? Okay, two of you, the rest of you are liars. We tend to focus on the problem. Now, this is a Steve Marshall illustration. I got this years ago from Steve Marshall. I'm so glad you're here today because Steve taught me this. He uses a lot of money for illustrations. So he, he took a, a, a key or something and poked the bottom of this out. And he said, you know what we do? We have a tendency to look through life from this angle, from this lens. He said, and when I look through this, all I see is the problem. That's all I see. Not, not that you're the problem. Maybe you are the problem. I don't know. But, but that's all we see. We're so focused and consumed on the problem. God doesn't want us to live that way. You know how he wants us to live? Turn the lens around. And now when you look through it, that doesn't mean that the problem goes away. But all of a sudden, you see all the blessings that God is doing in your life and focus on those things and not just on the problem. This is what Joshua will be reminded and challenged to do as they walk through with each other. Leadership takeaway. When a leader appears to be weak and fearful, it can change the demeanor of the crowd and they find themselves doubting and having reservations about that leader. And we also see that Normally, we don't fall into leadership. We grow into leadership. Uh, for all of us here, you didn't just fall. Most of us didn't fall into fatherhood. We didn't fall into just getting married. Oh, we didn't fall into the job. We grew into it. We grew into it. And we started out working at Swenson's, running the shift and, and uh, doing our thing and, and getting those Swenson coins, which are great, by the way. And, uh, and we find ourselves doing that. And somebody sees something in us. And they say, you know what, I'd like you, to, um, I'd like you to start setting up, coming in a little earlier and setting up. I want you to learn that. And so he starts coming in, setting up, and then, then he's doing it well. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I want you to run the shift tonight. And he doesn't just fall into leadership, he grows into leadership. 
I want you to see something here, verse 8. Look at verse 8. It's a, a great, great verse. Memorize it. Put it someplace where you're allied in your car, on the mirror, whatever. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate upon it day and night so that you may do according to what is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and successful. What he is doing, what the Lord is doing to Joshua is saying, Joshua, I want the word of God to be the compass in your life, to guide you and direct you. Let his word lead our mouth. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. What comes out of this mouth should be in sync with the word of God. What comes off of our lips should be in tandem with the word of God. That the word of God would would lead our mouth, that the word of God would lead our mind, meditate on it day and night. Whatever gets your mind gets you. It's called target fixation. So years ago with Steve, uh, we were in uh, uh, West Virginia, we were mountain biking, and uh, this trail was an incredible trail, and some of these guys knew how to mountain bike, and I'm just like, keep it together. And, and I'm, I'm trying so hard to focus so that I won't hit a rock but every time I see a rock, my eyes go to the rock. Wherever my eye goes, that's where the tire went. And I remember coming over this pass, and, and I, I see this huge rock, and I'm like, oh, oh, don't hit the rock, don't hit the rock. Bam, I hit the rock. Target fixation, whatever is on your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind gets you. You, you, can't, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't impart that which you don't possess. It says meditate upon it day and night. You know what meditating means? It means to chew on it like a cow chews its cud. I know it's gross, but man, what a great illustration. To meditate on it, to let saturate your heart. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's on my mind. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from what? Sometime next week? Day to day. Memorize it. Let his word lead our eyes so we may be careful to observe everything that is written in it. You know what happens? When I'm not in God's word, I drift. Oh, yeah. And so do you. Let's be honest at church for once. When we're not in God's word, we begin to do our own thing. We begin to let the Starbucks and the Walmarts on every corner consume our time and attention. But when we're in God's word, my mind changes. My heart changes. What I look at changes. And I begin to observe him. And my whole life changes. And we see here in this verse that you will be prosperous and successful. Oftentimes that's more spiritual than it is financially. This isn't a verse for um, the prosperity gospel. This is a verse to say, you know what? You'll be successful. If you're walking with God and you're in God's word and you're meditating upon God's word, you're going to be successful. Because you're going to be growing. You're going to be maturing. I love it, C.S. Lewis, uh, in the Narnia books, there's one of the books called Pr Prince Caspian. And Lucy, who's one of the figures in, in the, uh, uh, the book, uh, she hasn't seen Aslan, who's this Christ-like uh, figure in the story. And she hasn't seen Aslan for a while. And maybe you understand what I'm talking about, that one day she runs into Aslan and she says, oh, Aslan, you've gotten bigger. And Aslan responds, no, I've not gotten bigger. It's because you've gotten older and every year you grow, you find me bigger. And how about us? Every year that we grow in our faith and every year that we're trusting in him when we stand at the brink of the unknown, he gets bigger. 
our faith gets stronger. And we find that he is faithful. He is worthy to walk with. Part number four, really, in verses 16 to 18, is a response by the people. So we've seen here a transfer of responsibility from Moses to Joshua. We've seen here a promise uh, of the land for the people, uh, a promise personally to Joshua. We, we've seen here a challenge, strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. And now we see the response of the people to Joshua. Look at verses 16 to 18. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And whenever you set, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whoever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now listen, the commitment that they have to Joshua doesn't mean to elevate them to the point of where he is a, a, a stardom, uh, to the point of where he is a celebrity, to the point of where he is worshipped. No, they are saying we are committing ourselves to you, Joshua, because just as, the Lord, just, as Moses, just as the Lord was with Moses, the Lord will also be with you. And listen, everybody look up here. And just as the Lord was with Moses... And just as the Lord was with Joshua, when you stand at the brink of the unknown, he will be with you. He will be with you. I love, I love that verse 18. Uh, back up just for a second, verse 17. They, they say, just as the Lord was with Moses, the Lord will be with you only only if you are walking with the Lord. Only. So they are putting their trust in Joshua because Joshua is putting his trust in the Lord. And then we come to verse 18. I love verse 18. Paraphrase. Hey, if somebody messes with you, Joshua, if, if one of our enemies or one in the camp starts to mess with, with you, they've got to answer to us. We will put them away. A nice word of saying, we will kill them. We do not want anything to interfere with God's will and God's plan for our lives. Wow. Wow. What a response. Only be strong and courageous. Do you see that right at the end? I believe this is a declaration. Twelve tribes, a ton of people. I'm not sure how many. We could say three million. We could say 100,000. A ton of people. And these people, in one accord, in unison, say to Joshua to encourage him, be strong and courageous. Let's say that together. Be strong and courageous. Again, be strong and courageous. And they said it as one body, believing it themselves and believing it in Joshua. We see a leadership takeaway. A godly leader is one who motivates others to pursue godliness while accomplishing great things for God. And you may say, well, yeah, I, I, I get that. But I want you to see something here. A godly leader is one who motivates others to pursue godliness. You can stop there and not be effective for your own life. Yeah, I'm pursuing people. I'm trying to get people to be godly. But all the while, God is accomplishing great things in your life as well. 
we have a twofold blessing. We have an opportunity to help people pursue godliness. And yet in the same way, God is accomplishing his work in our lives. I don't know if you've ever heard of the author Philip Yancey, but I love the story that Philip Yancey shares. He said, my wife and I decided to take a little bit of time and to be able to go to Yellowstone National Park. Well, if you've ever been to Yellowstone National Park, one of the sites that you have to see is old what? Faithful. Every 24 minutes, the geyser erupts. It's a great sight to see. I've seen it on YouTube. I've never seen it in person. Okay. Yancey says, so we walked into what was called the Old Faithful Inn, which overlooks the geyser. A large digital clock is on the wall that counts down every 24 minutes. He said, there is a massive window that looks out over Old Faithful. He said, without missing a beat, he said, when it comes to about a minute before the geyser is going to blow, everyone gets up from their tables. They go over to the window and are expecting this incredible old fateful eruption. He said, I noticed something. He said, immediately as if on signal, the crew of busboys and waiters began clearing away dirty dishes and refilling water glasses while the rest of us oohed and awed and took pictures. He said, I glanced over my shoulder and not a single waiter or busboy ever looked out the huge window to watch Old Faithful erupt. Old Faithful had become entirely too familiar and had lost its power to impress them. It seems God's faithfulness often goes unappreciated as well. At one time, we oohed and awed over the faithfulness of God. But for some reason, it's become all too familiar. Mission View Church you stand at the brink of the unknown. You've had an incredible man of God leading, guiding. But if this ministry hinges on just one human being, we are in trouble. It needs to hinge on the God-man, Jesus Christ. It needs to be focused on him. Because just as the Lord said to Joshua, he says to Mission View Church, in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. When you're standing at the brink of the unknown, whether it be for this church or it be for your life, remember the promise that he gave Joshua. Just as I was with Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you, and he will be with us. Be strong and courageous. Let's pray together. I wonder this morning, just with our heads bowed, how many of us here have found ourselves standing at the brink of the unknown. The feelings of inadequacy, of fear, of questions, uh, somewhere between butterflies and excitement. Oh, that all of us here 
Whether we are standing at the brink today or we will be standing at the brink of the unknown a week or a month or a year from now, that we would take the words written from the word of God, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. May we make it a prayer that our lives in this church and when I go into the workplace and wherever you would have me, Lord, it's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. It's not always a happily ever after story. But we have the assurance that he is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, help us that we would be strong and courageous for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.